you, Shannon, for staying up there for just a second here. She's going to help me. <coughs> we, we diversified. We were trying to keep everybody in the first half of the chairs. Now I see that we've... <laughs> but welcome to all of you all. Um, <coughs> so today we're continuing in our series in uh, Revelation, going through the seven churches, the letters to the seven churches. And I'm going to start out by reading... Um, the passage on the church in Pergamum, and then I'm going to have Shannon help me with a little quiz. So, Father, we just um, invite your presence here with us this morning. Lord, we uh, ask that you would open our eyes and our ears to what you would want to teach us this morning, and that you would help us, um, yeah, just see you where you are at work in all things, Lord, in Jesus' name. So, Revelations 2, 12, to the angel in the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny the faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have... Some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak a stumbling block before the sons of Israel that they might eat food sacrificed to idol and practice sexual immorality. You also hold have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it, and on that stone no, a name that no one knows except the one who receives it. So this is the word of God to John. Um, and as you listen to that, you know, I don't know what, I mean, frankly, Revelation is just kind of a wild book, you know. It's it's this wild, crazy dream. You know, I don't know, you know, if you get dreams, sometimes, you know, I get dreams, and, and sometimes they're just weird, <laughs> you know. But did you hear stuff in this that resonated with you, that you recognized some common themes? Some common stories. There are melodies that play in our collective thought. And just a couple of notes, and you should recognize them. So I'm going to do a quiz just in terms of popular culture. Okay? Shannon's going to play like seven notes. And I want you to tell me what image gets brought to mind from those seven notes. Okay? Let's do the first one. (laughs) What is it? Indiana Jones, right? Okay? That was, I mean, just seven simple notes. Right? Everybody was like, I know what that is, <laughs> right? 
Maybe another one. Who's about to walk in? <laughs> Darth Vader, right? <laughs> okay. It only took seven notes for you to get the picture. You knew what's happening next, right? You hear those notes, you start to cringe, <laughs> you start to tense up, and you know what's happening next. You know who's coming around the corner. Thank you, Shannon. You're awesome. <laughs> But that's, the biblical authors are trying to do the same thing with you, okay? When you read these words, we should all be saying, ooh, I know what's coming next. And God has a design. You know, the guys at the Bible Project say that the Bible is a unified story that points to Jesus. Um, and all throughout Revelation, you start to see themes. And, I mean, how many churches are there that are in this passage, right? There's seven, right? How many trumpets? How many seals? <laughs> okay, there's a theme going on here, and he wants us to see it, and he wants us to pay attention to it. It's not lost on me. What day is today? Seven of seven. <laughs> seventh day of July, seventh month. There's a theme going on. <laughs> um, and so, Chris, I actually want to start with um, a Bible Project video on Sabbath as we get into this and, and, and just kind of as a way to think about the way these common themes are running through here and say, God, what is it that you want us to see here? What is it that you want us to resonate with our heart and recognize what you're trying to say to us in this passage?
come to me. I mean, that's really, you know, frankly profound how he just invites us into that place of rest, you know. And so much of what he's inviting these seven churches into is that place of rest. And he's calling them forward to that hope. And so everything we read in Revelation is riffing on this same theme, right? And calling forward these images from the days of old. And so we start this passage. The words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. Now, in what I'm going to share here in the next few minutes, I'm going to riff on that particular theme, right? This two-edged sword. And where do we see that show up first in Scripture? And that's always a good clue is to say, what, what is he trying to get us to, to think about? Where, where is he taking us with this imagery? You know, when was that first time those seven notes played, right? And what am I supposed to remember? Anybody remember first time you see a sword show up in Scripture? It's always a good hint. Yeah? Adam and Eve. Yeah. Good job. Good job. Right? Because guess what? I mean, here's if the right answer isn't Jesus, <laughs> it's probably the Garden of Eden. Right? Because he's he's calling us back to the day when everything was good before everything got broken. Right? So much of Sabbath rest, the seventh day, is all about us being united with God in a world where nothing's broken and everything's restored. You know, but the day things got broken. And the day they got kicked out, God posted an angel with a sword there at the door to Eden, you know. And so that imagery, you know, plays in our head. And we're like, hmm, okay, what are you saying to me? What is, what is it that I need to understand about why this, you know, why do we... We, we start here. You know, and there's, there's such a, um, you know, and that, that evokes imagery of the longing of the restoration, you know, of the fact that we can actually come back and appeal to God and say, God, I want to enter back into your presence. And, and, and God uses that same imagery of the angel's, and the fire there <coughs> at the doorway to Eden is all present in the tabernacle. The tabernacle has those same imagery, the, the Ark of the Covenant with the wings on it, the fire of the burning altar right there at the gateway to go into the Holy of Holies is, a, is all bringing forward that same imagery. And so <coughs> he... He 
evokes this in our head. And then what's probably the next time that we, um, I mean, there's a few times throughout Scripture that that we we see this imagery of the sword. Um, But one of the very next times is actually also connected to this little story. We start with um, this encouragement that, you know, the, the one, the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. And he says, look, you know, I know, <coughs> I mean, and, and granted, you know, all of these messages are a bit of a mixed bag, you know, and that's because we're all a bit of a mixed bag, right? Sometimes we do things well, sometimes we don't. You know, and he wants to say to us, you know, I love you, <laughs> um, but the stuff that you've been doing that, you know, displeases me, that's got to stop. That's got to stop. You can't keep doing that. All right. And so he says, look, you know, I know some of you, and, and, he, and he singles out Antipas, and he says, some of you have actually endured persecution even at the point of death. You know, and historically in the church, you know, we live in a time when we're in a, in a place, and especially as, as Americans, where, where, you know, we have not suffered for the gospel. You know, I mean, I, we have brothers in, in India who have had people, you know, who have, you know, stormed their house, um, because they were opposed to them in the gospel. There are, you know, we have stories of China and other people who have genuinely laid down their lives for Jesus um, in difficult places. Um, you know, we have never, I personally have never experienced that level of, of choice, of, of having to endure that kind of persecution. Um, but we live in an anomaly that is that season of time. It's more normative that we would actually have to count a cost to follow Jesus. And and so he's saying to those that have suffered, well done. I am with you. But then he says to those, and then you start to hear the other seven <laughs> notes of this guy, Balaam. And when you hear the Balaam tune, <laughs> you start to go, uh-oh, <laughs> just like the Darth Vader notes, right? Because Balaam is one of the classic baddies of Scripture. And when, but the weird thing is, is that he starts out as somebody who actually is, is known as a prophet is known as actually somebody who hears from God. And he actually hears from God well. He he actually, at some level, had a relationship with God. And so his story starts out with the king of Moab comes to him and says, hey, there's this huge group of people who have just pitched up on my doorstep, and um, I'm scared of them, and I need you to come here and curse them. Right? You know, 
I mean, it may have been a long time since you read Numbers 22. It's an uh, it's obscure story that's baked in there in the middle of, of that journey through the wilderness. But the people of Israel have been wandering in the, in, in the, in the wilderness for 40 years after they crossed the Red Sea out of Egypt. And now they're finally making that push towards the promised land. They're finally going to enter in. And so they move up into what's the southern end of Jordan. And the Moabite king is like, look, I've, I've got a problem. I've got this massive group of people that are infringing on my property, and I need to, to call down curses from heaven on them. And so he, he goes out and sends out guys because he knows that Balaam is, has a reputation of hearing from God, has a reputation of being in relationship with God. Um, and so he, he calls up Balaam and says, you know, I'll give you a lot of money if you come and curse these people. And Balaam prays, and God says, don't do it. <laughs> and then the king of Moab says, I'll give you more money. And he prays, and he's like, God, you know, they're going to give me a lot of money. You know, can I, can I do it? Um, and so Balaam keeps the door open by continuing to go back to God and saying, you know, can I do it? Should I go with these guys? And God ultimately says, yeah, go with these guys, which is a really weird story. And then, and then probably one of the weirdest stories of Scripture, what happens next? You probably know this. What happens next? Who shows up? There's an angel, and he's got a sword. Okay, so now here's, here's the, the second sword story, right? The sword is out of its sheath, so ready for war, ready for battle. We're not, we're not playing. This is... You know, in Japanese culture, you pull the sword out, you have to, like, take blood before you put it back, right? This is a big deal, <laughs> right? Um, and so Balaam's riding on his donkey on his way to go see the king of Moab, right? And, and the donkey <laughs> just is like, look. I'm not going anywhere. I can't go anywhere, you know, because the angel is right in front of the donkey. And Balaam is like, that stupid donkey? <laughs> he starts beating the donkey, right? And then we have, you know, the, the kind of the Shrek moment of Scripture, right, you know, <laughs> where the donkey starts speaking to him. And, I mean, what a crazy moment. I mean, we, we have these movies about donkeys that speak, right? You know, but this is actually like in the Bible. <laughs> Donkey actually speaking to Balaam and saying, look, I've been faithful to you all these years and you're beating me because I was trying to save your life because there was this angel that had a sword. And so then God opens Balaam's eyes and he actually sees this angel in front of him. And then somehow he still goes on to see the king of Moab. And the king of Moab offers him more money. And he goes and he prays again and, and says, I can only say what God tells me to say. He gives a blessing to the people of Israel. He goes back. He does it again. He gives another blessing. King of Moab, more upset, gives another blessing. 
king of Moab more upset. He continues to do that. But in all of those moments, you know, the, the weird thing, again, it looks like Balaam's doing a good thing. He even prophesies about, you know, he, he gives a messianic prophecy. This guy who is not even, you know, a people, you know, a, a member of the Jewish community, right? He gives a messianic prophecy. Um, he is actually hearing from the one true God, but he's like so close and yet so off in his motives, in his, in his, in his game. And ultimately what he does is he coaches the king of Moab, and you only learn this later on. He coaches the king of Moab, this is how you actually, you, you win. I can't curse them, but here's what you do. You get them to compromise. Okay? If they follow other gods, if they dishonor God with their bodies sexually, um, then God's favor will go away from them. And King of Moab takes his advice and sends his ladies into the community. And, and uh, then you see a series of, of incidents over the next couple of chapters where that compromise creates a season of judgment. And this is what Jesus is talking about here to the church in Pergamum. So you guys have compromised. And, and I don't know what each of us needs to ask God, where is it that we are compromising with the world? You know, is it in our entertainment? Is it in our, you know, um, the way that we honor God with our bodies? And the Nicolaitans were like, you know what? Hey, we're saved by grace. It doesn't matter. You know, I can do anything, but God forgives me. And that's not, and he's saying again in this moment, that's not actually true. God does forgive but he doesn't give us his forgiveness as a license to sin. He is a very jealous God. He says, I'm the only God. You must honor me. And honoring me means honoring me with your bodies, with your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. Not putting any other God before me. And so... The third place in the story where this, or the third story where the sword shows up is just after that. Joshua has taken over leadership because Moses um, had not honored God and God had to hold Moses accountable. And Moses didn't get to enter into the promised land. Um, but Joshua has gone across, you know, they've crossed the water and through the, the Jordan River and they've crossed over and they're sitting outside of Jericho and they're about to go to, to war with Jericho and, and Joshua conf- is confronted by an angel with a sword. <laughs> and the angel with the sword says to Joshua, one, take off your choose because the place you're standing is holy. And Joshua asked him, are you for us or for our enemies? And he's like, I'm neither. I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. 
but then he he gives them the plan. And interestingly, the plan is to go march around the city six times. And then on the seventh day, march seven times. And then all of a sudden, the walls fell down. And in that story, again, you see seven, seven sevens. And the, the takeaway is that God actually is the one who fights our battles. He doesn't, he is the one who works for us, you know, and he wants us to rest in him. See, at the end of the letter of Pergamum, you know, he says, for those that overcome, you know, and, and he doesn't want any of you to compromise. He wants all of you to overcome, and he expects that you can and will overcome by the grace that he gives you freely. That there is more than enough, that he comes with abundance, abundant provision that's more than enough for each and every one of you. Um, and so the... Yeah, and so in wrapping this up, I want to read from Hebrews uh, chapter 3 and 4 because it, it kind of sums up everything I've just talked about. Today, if you hear his voice, and he's speaking this out to each and every one of us, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I mean, that's pretty rough. He wants us to enter into, our, into his rest. But if we, if we compromise, if we go after other gods, if we... Um, he's like, look, I can't have those two together. But my grace is sufficient for you. I am about welcoming you into rest. And all of these sevens should trigger us to think about this theme. He is The theme is rest. The theme is, is together with him in the garden forever on that seventh day. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's overcoming. But, and it's overcoming with endurance. We have become present, you know, past tense, we've become, if we hold fast to the end, he calls us to perseverance. It's not, it's not just something I did when I was a kid. He calls us to walk with him all the days of our life and to trust that he's going to be with us. <clears throat> Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts at the rebellion. I'll skip forward to chapter 4. 
verse 1. Therefore, while the promises of entering his rest still stand, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach for it. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter the rest. And we said, um, and let me skip down to verse 8. So verse 8 says, If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about another day later on. You know, Joshua gave them rest as they entered into the promised land. And yet what we know from the story is that the promised land was this picture of something future coming, a rest with God. It's not just about this land and this time. It is with him forever. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So he knows your works. And he knows, you know, and I look at myself, I know where I've compromised. And today is a good day to say no more compromise. So verse 14 Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." In every respect, he's been tempted. He came from heaven, took on flesh, and lived a life for 33 years among us so that he could be our high priest who dealt with everything that we've dealt with, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So yeah, just as the Bible Project video said, Sabbath, rest, you know, is about completion. It's about liberation. And it begins now because we find that Sabbath rest in the person of Jesus Christ. And he invites you to say, no more compromise. I'm 100% going to trust in you, your provision, your abundance, your love, and your grace for me. And I know that that's enough. And he will see you through.
And I guess as, just as we finish, Jesus, we just ask that you would be at work in each and every um, one of our hearts. You would be at work in my heart, Lord, that, that where there has been compromise, Lord, that you would convict and that you would help us walk in to a place where we experience your rest and favor. Lord, you are the one that fights for us. You are the one who delivers us. You are the one who provides for us like that manna from heaven that we don't work for. We just receive. And so I just ask for your grace to be poured back poured out on everybody here this morning. You would go into your private closets and, and deal with the places that, that the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction. And if you need prayer, please come and see me or Nicole and, and because his grace is enough to heal. And he invites you to enter into the rest and the enjoyment of his presence. In Jesus' name. Well, thank you, honey. Yeah. All right, just, you know, I mean, I think this is such a, I'm I'm actually still taking some of this in, and I knew the things that Dana's been talking about, you know, and these are things that, you know, we've just been chatting about in some other areas, but I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Thank you. And yet, the thing, the cool thing is that these are really cool because God, God wrote these in. You know, God, you know, even a few weeks ago when one of the other churches was like, I invite you to the, to this garden. I mean, it's like God was, these things were written in there, like as Dan was saying, that those churches should have been like, wait, back to a garden? Back to a feast? You know, here with this sword? Ah, you know, and Yeah. So I, I really do, just in the same way that Dan does, I leave you with that blessing, not out of a, oh, my gosh, God's about to whack me. But there is a power of God that's just like he's the one who holds that sword in his hand. And I actually love where that, just that letter to this church, it has this seriousness. It actually talks, I mean, in, in your, as Dan was saying, there's too much actually in all this. You know, it, it ended up, and he, as Dan was praying, it ended up with this place also talking about there is still kind of manna hidden in heaven. Like, and that, again, would bring to this whole likening of story is there is stuff for you that you cannot earn. But God has been calling us to him. So just, I'm really, I just bless you guys. As you go out, that there wouldn't just be like a nice little story. Or, oh, that was kind of interesting and weird. But I hope and pray that some of this will be that same thing like, why do I recognize this? What does that make me think about? What else is God saying? Um, so thank you guys for being here today. We just bless you all. Of course, please, we, we, there's no reason to run out. There's coffee. There's tea. Um, but there's also connection. There might be connection just among each other of like, just, hey, what does that make me think? So bless you all. Thank you for being here today. <laughs>